Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everyone. This is the Execution Equals Excellence podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Fernandez, ready to present you an exciting and meaningful episode. Today, my guest was born in the Hockey Universe of Toronto, Canada, and he was a multi-sport athlete in 2014, who in 2014 founded the Ontario Hockey Club, which is designed for girls ages 8 to 22 years old to take their talents to the next level. He is currently on the path of developing in a personal development academy, an online personal development academy for student athletes, business professionals, and individuals alike. So allow me to introduce to you the host of the Real Experience podcast and one of my fellow teammates in the London Real Broadcast Yourself Course Academy, Mr. Scott McDonald. How's it going, Scott? Jonathan, man, it's great to uh, be here. I really appreciate being on your show. It's uh, it was going through the academy. It was one of those where I'm like, I really want to have a conversation with this guy. Uh, so to be here is uh, an absolute honor. This early in your uh, stages of development, and yeah, man, can't wait to get started. Can't yeah. wait to dive deep on this one. Yeah, it's an honor to have you too. We had a great conversation yesterday. Hope you could follow through with that today. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. All right, so um, Scott, so I just want to um, delve into. The fact that you had um, started off doing construction in, in your earlier days, and what was that transition from you going from construction to founding this hockey club for girls, and what and what was the purpose behind it specifically? Yeah, so when I left high school, I knew I didn't want to go to university or college, right? I was just, that's not for me. I knew that at a young age, I wanted to go out, make money, I wanted to learn real life things. Uh, so when I had left, um, you know, I went into the trades and construction industry because all you hear is high wages, benefits, pension plan, all that good stuff. You know, the, the world's always building, you know, there's many different sectors to be in. Um, so that was my thing. It was like, okay, well, that's the, that's the quickest way that I can get to the highest wage possible. So, so I went into that. Um, and through my time there, I achieved a lot really quickly in terms of how good of a worker I could be, um, you know, uh, and I was in a several different sectors, demolition, uh, formwork, refractory, which is a really specialized industry. And that's what was the last one that I did, um, you know, maintenance management uh, programs um, at Lester B. Pearson Airport, you know, fire systems, all that stuff. Uh, but it wasn't very fulfilling. It was, uh, it was one of those things where when you're young in your teens and in your early 20s, you think, okay, I'm making, you know, I'm, I'm making more than my friends. That must mean I'm doing better was, was my whole thing. And, uh, and that's what I sold myself on for a long time. But as time went on and you accumulate more money and, and you do different things and you get, you know, your pay scale goes up, I wasn't really enjoying it uh, as much. So I remember the last job I had, it was the best pay, paying job I had. Uh, it was at a company called Thorpe Canada. And what they do, it's a it's an industry called refractory. So basically, those guys that you see going into blast furnaces, kilns, coke ovens, you know, they're wearing the uh, the big coveralls with the white Tyvek suits. They got the harnesses on. They're using the rivet busters. They're, pan- they're basically you're demolishing all the fire rated concrete and brick and all that stuff, so that that you know that uh, steel shell can you know get really hot, burn the product down, whatever it's got to do. Um, and that was, that was great because you, you, you would make like six months pay and two, three months of work, but you're working every day, 12 hour days. It was really hard labor. 
but it was really good money. It was hard to justify. At the same time, though, it was one of those industries where you weren't really in control of your destiny because it was so small, yet so lucrative that once you were in, the first time you turn down an employer and say, no, I'm taking the next week off, I'm doing this, I can't make that job, you were done. No one, no one was going to take you on again. So I said, okay, well, I got to figure out something that's different for me. So, um, you know, getting into the hockey thing, uh, it was interesting. My last job that I did in refractory or one of my, one of my last jobs, um, I, I just told them straight up. I said, I'm taking the summer off. We had a really good year. I'm taking the summer off. Um, and I started getting my health back in order, training more. Cause when I played hockey, I would train my friends. I was really into bodybuilding. Like I learned all that stuff at a young age. So all my friends leaned on me for that. And uh, I have a niece who's uh, now 16. She has a teammate who uh, back back in 2014, all the way up to now, they're still teammates and they're actually going to be going off to Cornell University in a couple of years on hockey. Uh, on hockey, uh, uh, Well, they don't offer scholarships, but financial aid, but they'll be part of that program. And um, they wanted to uh, start working out in the gym. So I was going to this gym that was maybe a 10 minute drive from our house. And I said, okay, well, I'll train. I'll show you some stuff. And my sister was okay with it. And, you know, uh, McKenna's a friend of Lisa. Her dad was, you know, he's really into that kind of stuff. So he said, yeah, let's go do it. So I did that for a summer and uh, they came back. Um, they were in really great shape. Their, uh, their uh, teammates and, and the, like the families were all like, whoa, what happened to these kids? And parents are, oh, well, you know, Scott was training them. And events or parents at their training camp approached me because I was, I was going to go see how they did and they were doing quite well at training camp. And they said, okay, well, would you do this first too? And I thought, okay, well, I was thinking about getting in this, you know, side hustle, you know, we'll, we'll train some hockey players. I know how to do it. Not a big deal. Maybe I'll do that. I'll go back to construction in the fall and, you know, see la vie life will go on. Um, as I started to get more, I started to realize I liked it a lot more. And then it kind of had the snowball effect. Having said that, though, it was interesting because I knew one person whose daughter uh, played on another team in hockey in the in, in, in uh, the GT Greater Toronto area. I sent out. Uh, I said, "Hey, I'm sending out um, these email blasts, free free team session, all that good stuff." I sent it to 500 coaches. Well, he went and told his coach, "Hey, you know, Scott's doing this. It's a free session. He's good. You know, let's help him out." So they were the only one that signed up out of 500 emails that I put it out to. And it's a free session so that, that no one had anything to lose, right? Right. So fast track that forward, there was another parent on that team who was a part of the development committee for that organization. And he really liked what I did. And he liked the facility that I was doing it out of. So he said, oh, well, we're having a meeting about this with the development director. You know, we'll have a meeting with you maybe in a month or so. So that meeting happens and they loved everything I said. And what I was going to do for them, next thing you know, they're saying, okay, here's eight teams in April. And it's four, and that's, and by that time it was around Christmas time, it was four months away. I said, oh, okay. So now I got like this actual business here that I wasn't even planning on. It's good revenue for myself. Um, it pays a percentage to the gym, like other than paying my percentage to the gym and the helper to help me do it. I said, okay, let's go with this. This is awesome. So I went from, you know, being in a specialized uh, industry um, you know, where you're grossing about 4,000 a week in construction, you know, but working about three or four months of the year um, to all of a sudden now it's like, oh, I got a business where I'm free. I can do what I want. It's better working conditions, all that. It's something that I enjoy doing. Uh, and out of that came, you know, one of my, uh, one of my athletes, parents who actually was the, the dad of my 
uh, of my niece's teammate who said, Hey, um, you know, I, I know you've been talking about getting coaching in, in, uh, you know, with club teams, would you want to do a prospect team for the spring? Uh, all of our girls are really good, but they're all, they're spread among all these different prospect teams. We should just make one prospect team with all the girls in our, in our, in our group. And I said, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Well, as I started that process, one of my, the guy that was doing the sales uh, for the jerseys said, Oh, well, I'm, I'm with a different club, but we want to leave there. Can we come to your club? And then he had a friend and then he, and then they had a, then they had an, another friend who had a team. So in the span of like, you know, from my first, uh, just, you know, taking a stab at a side hustle to the, of September into the new year, I had a, a, a organization under contract for their whole off season and in season strength condition training for the following year. I had four prospect teams, you know, I had a bunch of other individual clients and I thought, oh my God, like this is, this is great. This is like, you know, what everyone wants as an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, and especially at that age, I'm 24 still. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is great because I have control. You know, I'm not waiting for the next job to start. I can go and do as much as I want. So after that, um, I got approached by another organization to coach a couple of their teams in the winter. Their teams joined into the program. Next thing you know, I had an, a couple of uh, investors come in where they wanted to meet, to use me to as the launch pad to do a gym. Um, which we did that for a couple of years. And that was a, a huge learning experience in itself. But um, I eventually sold that off because by the time everything grew so big, I was kind of like, okay, I got to figure out my one main thing that I'm the most efficient at because there was the gym side and then there was the hockey side and it was still two different businesses. It was, and I never saw it that way. I always saw that they worked as one, but they are two separate businesses. And I decided, you know, I'm more into creating programs than I am running a gym. I never wanted to run a gym. I, I, I enjoyed the coaching and the developing and working closely with athletes than I did running a facility, you know, and making sure that we're efficient and, you know, and staffing and all, all that stuff. And I know that comes along with business, but uh, yeah, but I got back into that. We went into the uh, back into the programming where we focused more heavily on that. One of our age groups, which was where my niece and her teammate are part of the 2004 birth age groups for girls here in Ontario is phenomenal. Like it's, it's at a whole different level, how good that age group is. Um, and our, our prospect team there, uh, when they were in grade, going into grade nine, we had like half the team was being heavily scouted and, and, and prospected and, and offers coming in from division one NCAA hockey organizations um, to the team. And it was like just a surreal time. And we had other athletes too, who were older and they were getting their commitments too. And, you know, by the end of 2018, we went to, you know, 24 girls in our program where it was like, they collectively amassed six, uh, $6 million in athletic scholarships. Wow. And I was like, wow, this, this went from just being, you know, a side hustle idea of, Hey, I'm going to train. Uh, this is how small I was thinking. If I can get 10 kids and I charge them 150 a month, but that, that for a year, and that takes care of in-season and off-season, baseline testing, food and nutrition. Like that's some good extra income that I can use for investments and stuff. And that's like just like you know, like you know, gravy train money. <laughs> that's how small I was thinking. And then everything got into a, a higher level, and you got all these NCAA coaches talking to you. You're meeting people from USA Hockey and Hockey Canada who are talking about players. That's great. and it, it just happens so fast. And it, it, but it's crazy because even today and. And all the way to, from where I started and even till today, I'm too big to be small, but I'm too small to be big. 
And that's a big thing, um, not an issue, but that's something a lot of people who do what I do come across where you're not able to go on that international global scale. Though, mind, mind you, there are com- I have competitors who run events um, in different areas, but why I mean that you have like an actual, you know, um, an actual impact on their personal development on a global scale, that doesn't happen. They're very good at organizing events that entertain people mm-hmm. on, an, on a North American level. So that's the, that's the one thing about the, the, this, this, uh, the hockey, the sport of hockey, the industry of hockey. I hate calling it an industry, but it has become that, unfortunately. Um, it's one of those things where you can be too big, you're too big to be small, but you're too small to be big. And it's, it, it sucks because you even to, to push and do certain things to become that big, you got to take big quantum leaps, but you have to be very creative. And that's what I've been doing now in my personal development path, not just for hockey, um, because that's just going to be, you know, one piece of my life moving forward. Um, it's been a huge part of my life, but now it's becoming just one, one section. And I want to move into a di- different direction where you're thinking your way to success and surrounding your people who want to be doing things that you want to do to make yourself successful, not, not on a, just on a monetary uh, uh, value, but like the value of the, the fulfillment of your life. Right. And I think that's one thing I've learned during this whole hockey time, uh, this whole hockey period of, uh, of my career is uh, the whole thing of you're never going to please everybody is completely true. People will take advantage. Um, they'll never understand the position you're in. They'll judge you first and figure you out later. 100% absolutely. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to transition. It was basically worth to make myself so, so good. You can't be ignored, but in a, in a, in an area that helps them where there's pain. And that's something that Michael Chabot and I talked about yesterday from our class um, with London Real. Find out what their pain is and then help them fix that right. and, and help them along in that process. And that's really the direction we're headed in now. And I think that's going to be, especially now after this whole COVID-19 thing canceled their playoffs, their national championships or seasons, um, that's going to be more important than saying, Hey, let's build the next best prospect team because I, I did that. And that's something that people didn't understand about me with, with this. When I was in construction, I made a lot of money at a really young age. I, I achieved something. I moved on mm-hmm. by the second year of, uh, sorry, the, 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 the third year, of um, doing uh, Ontario Hockey Club, I had won. I had been to, with the exception of maybe one or two tournaments um, that are out of town that I, I just we just never went to. But the team and, and here's how it works: we basically have won every tournament that was worth that was noteworthy to the public side to win. And people can say, "Yeah, but you weren't at this tournament. You weren't at that tournament." Yeah, but a week or two before some years, the team we beat the teams who won that tournament because we weren't there and we would, you know, we would crush them. Like I remember we would play underage, you know, my girls would play un- a year underage and we went on uh, like, we went undefeated one year, went 22 and 0 in the spring season. So I had this thing where I've accomplished so much in construction at a, a, at a young age, made the money that didn't fulfill me with the hockey club, the prospects teams, um, you know, won all the tournaments, beat all the teams, and uh, that, that were considered noteworthy to the pl- uh, public eye. People t- need to hate on us still. You didn't do it at this tournament, though. Yeah, but we beat everyone the week before that year, so it didn't matter anyways. We, right. we set up what we did to succeed. And that's what happened in that whole process, too, was now we're going, okay, I've made, I've, I, I know I've been able to make money. 
I've been able to buy vehicles by, on my own, like brand spanking new. Uh, like I had, I had my first uh, fully loaded F-150 pickup truck before my 19th birthday that I got, you know, like, um, you know, like a lot of kids, I, I did that. And now with the hockey, like we're, there's this, uh, like, I, I still love it. I love the, the people who are my true thousand fans. You know, I love when they show up every spring and summer, but we have to get better and we have to do something more than just say, Hey, um, here's your same, here's your same program, you know? And that's why I went on this pathway of personal development and finding new ways to help people rather than just saying, you know, go out and play and, and hopefully someone sees you and that's right. good enough. No, I rather say, Hey, let's work together on this and let's get you to think your way to success. Not, not saying you got to knock on the door and beg for a spot, but you have to start thinking like the dominators think out in the world so that you are too good, you know, too good so that they, that they can't ignore you. And that's what pretty that's well, true. I'm on my way there. If that, if that whole ramble makes any sense. No, no, it does. No, it does. No, you put, you put things into perspective too. You know, a lot of people in your case, I feel like would have been just going about the money. And I think you took a much bigger step towards your purpose in life. So, so that, was, so that was a great move. That was a bold move too, I'm sure. Well, that's the thing. People don't realize making money is easy. Yeah. And, and, and being satisfied and, and fulfilled in life is hard yeah. and difficult. And, and to be consistent on that, like I have competitors who are great people, but it's about, and there's nothing wrong because that's their goal. That's what they, that's their legacy of, they want to just be the person known who went out and won all the tournaments, put as many teams together as possible run as many tournaments as possible. And I, and you know what, I, I get it. 12 to 16 year old kids, they just want to play and have fun. I get that. But I do know, and I know you and I are, you know, listeners of Dan Pena, you know, Mia, I, I listen to him like I'm on steroids about it though, maybe a little bit more than anyone else, but um, it's like what he said, you know, there's 87% of people have, don't have that ambition to take their life to the next level. He wants to find the the next, he wants to find the 17% because that's who he wants to work with. And that's kind of where I'm now. We've done this open door policy. Well, I've done it with my life, open door policy, willing to, you know, try and try and new things and, and learn from people. But I'm at the point now where it's, you know what, that's 17% I'd rather work with because I get, I feel better mm-hmm. when I work with those. I'm not into the do it by volume game. Because eventually it dries up, the, and, and not and maybe not by maybe not the quantity, but the quality can dry up, and that's something I've learned. It's it's still quality first, quantity second. You know, you, it, it's an old school saying, but there is no school like the old school, in my opinion. For philosophy, that is technology. Different story. No, yeah, you, yeah, you put yeah, very great. Yeah, very well put there too. I I agree a hundred percent. Um, yeah, it was very well put, Scott. So one thing I want to get a little more into, um, so you, if you could delve a little deeper into, um, what, like, were there any, were there any struggles, like any, um, inside struggles trying to make that transition from, and, and I know you made a bold decision, but what I'm trying to get to is, did you, like, what were any struggles? Did people get in your way trying to, trying to pursue this? Like, did you have people in your inside circle or in, in your family just get in your way and if you can elaborate exactly like what were they saying or what were they maybe even doing to prevent you f- to taking this next step 
Um, in that decision, I was quicker to, to push those people aside who did try to get in my way only because I had experience even earlier in my life when I was 19. Um, I went to go work for, well, I was working on a company called Black McDonald, um, doing uh, maintenance work. They had a maintenance contract at the airport for five years. And this is during the, the mortgage crisis back in 08 to 2011, basically, when things were not good. But I, I had job security. And I started a, uh, a landscaping business. I just wanted to cut grass and I wanted to, you know, clean the driveways in the winter for the snow. That's all I want to do. No fancy gardening, no nothing, just just those two simple services because I was in the mindset of I got to make extra income. It's going to take me a while to get to a higher income from my job, but my side hustle can complement that to make make it a bit, to close that gap basically. Um, so what had happened was I went to go and start the trades in my family. A lot of the men on my mom's side of the family, they are in the fire system industry. So, the, you know, their trade is a sprinkler fitter. So for the sprinkler heads in the ceilings and all that. And uh, the company I went to work for, my part, my uh, uncle was a, a partner in it. And I knew his two partners there. I actually did a co-op with him in high school. And I had some, uh, I had some uh, experience in that. And when I went there, um, because they're more in the service industry, right? So when th- the service calls, you know, uh, shorter length jobs, they didn't do big projects because with big projects, it takes a while to get paid with service job, service work and with smaller jobs, you're in and you're out really quick, you know, and that's, that's a great business model mm-hmm. um, just to keep that, you know, you know, accumulation of, of revenue coming in, you know, you're selling to zebras. You're not trying to bag the elephant because there's a lot more zebras out there than there are elephants. Um, so when I had got to work with them, uh, I told them, I said, you know, I have the responsibility here of my clients on my side hustle. So if there's a day where you say I'm not working, I'll book it on that day and just be, just be aware. Yeah, sure. No problem. Well, I would do that. And then I get a call the day before we need you to work tomorrow. Yeah. But I got to do my side hustle. Like I got to go, I got like a dozen lawns to go cut. Um, yeah, well, you know, your commitments here, like this is your full-time job. This is your apprenticeship. Like we're, we're helping you. I said, I get it. I get it. Like there's a give and take thing. So I said, okay. After a while though, it got to the point where I would be in their office and they would be trying to talk me out of it. Not my uncle, but his partners. And they're still great guys. I like them a lot. Like I, you know, it didn't work out business wise, but those, those are two people who you, you go to a golf tournament with, you, you go, go watch the hockey game. You go to a, someone's house party. Like those are the people I would still hang out with. Cause I like them that way. Um, and it just, from a business standpoint, it didn't work out for me working for them. So eventually they, they said, no, this, this will be way better for you. Don't, don't do that. Now here's the thing that they didn't know. My, I started in the fall with my, uh, with my snow contracts. So my snow contracts had paid for all my equipment and a work and a work pickup truck. Right. So that was paid for all of my grass cutting was paying for my new vehicle that I had, its insurance and its gas, right? So it was covering, I wasn't, my side hustle was paying for all my monthly expenses. So finally they kind of came down on me hard because I I told them one day where they really need someone. I said, guys, no, I told you I'm doing this. I told you that you agreed to it. This is what I'm doing. And finally it came down. Okay. You have to make a decision. You're either going to work for us or you're going to do your own thing. Well, being 19, you think, well, you know, safety and security, right? 
Yeah. You've been waiting to get into this union, do this trade. Everyone in your family does it. You know, in, in five years, you're going to be making, you know, 80 to 90,000 a year. You know, okay. Later on in life, you learn that's not a lot of money. Um, so when I had packed it in, I told my customers, I said, yeah, you know, my, my apprenticeship's getting, um, is getting busier. I can't uh, do this anymore. Um, and they were fine with it. Well, the following week was the first week of nine straight weeks where I didn't work one hour in my apprenticeship. So I'm thinking, oh my God, like, like you gotta be kidding me. And it was... You know, it, it was like, well, it's the economy. Well, it's this. It's like, well, yeah, but I know a lot of other apprentices who are working with other companies who are working overtime every weekend. You know, yeah. Um, and you like, you won't even you won't even put me out on loan to another company to help me out. But at the same time, I don't know what their exact, I don't know what the the background stuff that they were going through. So I can't really harm. I can't really hone in and say, hey, this is their. They, they screwed me. They didn't screw me. They gave me an opportunity. The timing was terrible though, <laughs> you know, and maybe that's that maybe we all learned something, you know, at, at the midway point or the end of a mortgage crisis, you know, don't hire any apprentices and don't push, you know, your uncle and, and his partners, you know, to say, Hey, you got to help me out. I, I really want to make this transition. Now don't put them in that position. So we both failed at the end of the day, but we still, we still were, we were all still, you know, they never bothered my uncle and I, his partners and I, you know, anytime we see each other, you know, we're just shooting the breeze. Like we've known each other 25 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that experience of, of, uh, before of knowing how to say no, when I really wanted to do something the next time around. So I remember the day that I was registering the business, it was the same day that I worked one of my last shifts with, uh, with my old company, which is too bad because, uh, Steve Dorbolo, who I worked for there, he was best boss I ever had. He was a ball buster but a fun ball buster. <laughs> like he was that guy that would give you shit and then turn around and he'd be like, Hey, he'd turn around. He's like, hurry up by the way. He started laughing and, and he took care of the workers. He was, he was, he was that kind of guy. He, he worked at a million miles an hour. You'll never see anyone work this fast in your entire life. And, uh, and he, and he teaches you how to, how to work fast and learn fast. So, um, and I felt bad, but at the end of the day, I just told him uh, the last day that I had worked, he called us back because we had left early because no one from the office had came with the delivery. So we thought the day was not going to happen. And it was about a 45 minute drive. I was back home. He calls me, says, Hey, you got to get back here. This and that, this is like, why did you guys leave? And that was really going to be my last time. My last job working there. It was like a three week job, 12 hour shifts, 21 days of work. We're probably going to make like 11 or 12 grand during that time. And uh, I just said, no, man, I said, to be honest, I just registered a company. I got some things I want to do, but I got to go full out on them. And he said, okay. He's like, uh, you know, good luck with it. We both hung up. Um, you know, that was November 18th of 2014 and, uh, never really looked back pretty well. <laughs> so there you go. There's, there's, uh, that transition. It was, uh, it was a lot easier than I had thought. And I did not have any remorse, buyer's remorse or regret where I'm like, okay, well that was, you know, you know, a pretty damn good, like that could have, I could have made that my side hustle instead, you know, run the business, make that my regular income and, and, and be, you know, a, a labor foreman in that industry and, and make that my side hustle, you know, make that extra 60 K, but it, it doesn't work that way because you're, it's just too long of a day and it kills your body and you're around hazardous stuff all the time. You're breathing a nasty shit. So, 
Um, but yeah, that was that transition. So it was a lot easier compared to other people. There's a lot of other people who would have struggled with that, who would have had, you know, buyer's remorse, I'll call it. They would have. When, yeah. when they take, yeah, when they take that leap to start their business and walk away from it, you know, just like, you know, with yourself, when you talked on my show and one of the common grounds, it was like, yeah, I knew I was going to do it. You know, was it, it was, you know, it, it's the thing where you do think about it, you know, like even I, you know, I thought about like, eh, you know, should I have kept it? Should I have done this? But, you know, when you really want to do something, you got to go all in, you know, if you're not going to try it, if you're not going to go all the way, don't even, don't even get started. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't get a little bit pregnant, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. No, we did have a conversation in the past. I did mention the time where I, at one point I did question myself if I should have done this or not, if I just should have just gone to voiceover, but you know, a great point you, um, you kind of stated is, you know, don't forget why you started, obviously, you know, if you're going to start something, finish it as, as you told me in the past before. So that's a great insight. Um, so Scott, so I want to, I want to get a little personal here. Um, so I know in the past we've chatted about personal family issues, um, that you, that you've had in, in your household. Um, if you, if you want to maybe elaborate on that and has that had any effect on, on you trying to take the leap of faith, you know, I, and I know you've mentioned in the past that you've had a, a bad, um, support group, if you will, a supporting cast around you, the people who are supposed to be closest to you have suppressed you down. Um, what was that experience like for you? And, and what did you, what did you gain from that at first? What, what did you feel at first? Well, it, it made sense to me back in the fall. I watched London Real. Um, Brian Rose had interviewed Gabor Mate. Um, he's a he's an addiction psychologist uh, in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and Gabor has a like very intelligent, and I love the way he, you know, dissects the conversation. Um, and he was talking about childhood trauma, which can lead into addiction. So for me, childhood trauma, you know, there was, it wasn't physical. It was more of a emotional, verbal, you know, not even a subtle torture, but like when it was poured on, it was poured on. And then it wasn't, and then it was just forgotten, you know, weeks on end and then it would come back. So you think you're in the clear and then you go shit again. And this is when I was younger. How how old were you at this time? I, uh, you know what, actually I can, I can go back to like, I can, I, I remember stuff when I'm, th- I'm three years old. I remember stuff when I'm in my crib still. When I was a kid, I, I have one, one memory of when I was a baby in my crib. Um, you know, which is really weird because I've, I can remember all those years. I can't really remember my mid teens to, you know, very well for some reason. Um, yeah. So for there, you know, one individual who um, pushes their securities on the rest of the family. Now, I'm the youngest of five. So everyone got out quicker than I did. And I wasn't left behind, but I stayed, right? Basically. So to go on this thing with Gabor, um, when I watched that episode that he did with Brian, um, you know, the, the, the emotional trauma that I have, which a lot of people have. I'm not different. I'm not saying mine's any worse than anyone else's. It created an addiction to negativity, to negative thought, to poor self-talk that I that I still carry with me to this day. Right. Um, 
What do you mean and by it's neg- what do you mean by addicted to negativity specifically? Because the viewers may not understand exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. So where you wake up every day and you can't see light at the end of the tunnel. So I can get really hyped up about starting a new project, but the thing is I accomplish it really quickly and then I don't know how to sustain the success of that. And that's where, you know, the second side comes over and then that addiction to negativity comes in because then you start, you know, you start thinking of things that aren't true. You start to self-sabotage, um, you know, you pretty well become your own worst enemy, you know? Um, I, I remember my mom used to say when I was a bit, ba- when I was a baby, she says it was really weird. You were either the calmest kid in the world or it was just mayhem, the level of crying when you were, you know, a new, when you're a newborn and she nicknamed me, uh, Matt, she nicknamed me Mad Max, <laughs> which is actually a movie that I really like the original, not the remake. <laughs> um, so it was interesting. I, I kind of like in my own head, I've never said this to anyone, but it's uh, any time where that really toxic person comes that like is it that's inside me. That's, you know, kind of reminding me of, of all the, you know, I call him Mad Max, you know, that's Mad Max trying to get out. Um, so being addicted to the negativity, it's not like, it's not an addiction where it's like, yeah, I can't get enough of this. I just need more of it. It's just with you. Because your subconscious is addicted to it. Because as you grow up as a kid in the first seven years, that's where you download the most information. So in those first seven years, if that's all you see and all you know, well, to try and be open-minded and more coachable to these new positive things from from outsiders, because the addiction, the, 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 the emotional trauma comes from the outside and you download it into your brain. And then you have people who are trying to repair that download. They're trying to get into that download and fix it. But by that time, you're so old, you don't have an open mind anymore. But what you do have is you start to teach yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, because only you are in control of that. And without even knowing it, you teach yourself and you start to kind of break down the walls of Jericho a little bit. Um, And that's been working for me. But then only until now, pushing 30 years old, do you realize that you have to be more open-minded because you, because you start hanging around with the right people and you actually start to listen when you're younger, you think, you know, everything and you got the world by the tail, you're going to put it in your pocket and you, you say, well, I'm using this as fuel to the fire. I'm going to do this out of spite. Don't do it out of spite. <laughs> it work, it work, it works a little bit. It works maybe for, if we're talking sports, it works for one game and then, you know, the next time you lose, people are going to start pointing like in Michigan State where they go, oh, it's all your fault. Yeah. It's all your fault. <laughs> when they do that to the goalie, when he gets scored on the home goalie too, for crying out loud. Um, so the, uh, yeah, so, so that's really kind of like there's that addiction where um, even with people, you don't realize it. People who are negative, you seem to want to talk to. You know, that's like taking a puff, you know, like, you know. Um, and you don't know why there's something attractive about that. And not, I'm not talking physically attractive, but you're attracted to their approach to life for some strange reason. You don't get why you guys have a connection. Then you realize, well, once you do get rid of that person, you go like, wow, that was a real effing loser. And it's the, they, they're nourishing that negativity and that toxicity that, you know, was traumatic to me when I was younger. Cause you're wondering too, I remember being a kid and wondering, 
how come my household isn't like what I see on TV or what my friends do? Or, you know, they go on family vacations, they go to a cottage in the summer. How come we just, everyone's, everyone has to fend for themselves. Like I'm thinking of this at six, seven years old. That's tough. You know? Yeah. And with my siblings, by the time I came around, because I'm separated, my oldest sister is 13 and a half years older. My oldest brother's nine years, another brother, five years, and their sister, four years. Um, so they, they're all further ahead. So they had seen more and they I think they were a little bit more used to it and they knew how to put up with it and to avoid it. Or with me, I was at the end. So by the time I came around, I felt, now they probably won't say that, but I felt that I was just kind of left behind. And, and, and I know I've said earlier, I said not that I was left behind, but in terms of me having to figure it out, I was left behind in that way. And it's not their responsibility to go and do that, but you know, they got, they got away. They, when they got away from it, they were in their adult, you know, adulthood. I was still a teenager. So there wasn't as many people around. And again, it's not the responsibility because, but they, but you know, some families make choices to, to make that kind of the responsibility. But, at, you know, with my siblings, you know, it's kind of like you ever seen the, the TV show Married or uh, Married with Children, Al Bundy and all them. Okay, well you'll check it out. You'll have a good laugh. Basically, it's like, yeah, we're family. Well, let's just not do that whole family thing in public or at home. Oh, really? Wow. But 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 if someone challenge, but if someone were to challenge you, I got your back. So let's just like it's it's kind of like when you when you have that friend that no one likes. Hey, man we're friends, but in public, we can't be seen together type of thing. Uh, that's, and, and that's not the direct words or the direct relation that they said. That's how I felt growing up. Right. Um, so for me, I didn't start to do a lot better with my own personal development until I started cutting people, toxic people, negative people in my life, not just from family, but from, you know, the outer circle of quote unquote friends. Uh, and then that's where I started to see improvement. Now, here's the other, the flip side of that. When you start to cut those people out, they are pissed at you. See, they don't want anything to do with you when you're around. The second that you move on, they come back and explain how you're always the problem. Um, you know, you got issues. You're like, they, they won't say like, Hey, why are you cutting me out of your life and give me the answer so I can understand um, but they want that control. It's like they, it's like I can control that person anytime I want. So they're just over there off the side. That person leaves. Where's that person? Where'd they go? Hey, what the hell, man? You, you just took off. Who the hell does that? It's like a, a person who made a decision, a person who's in control. Yeah. You're coming to me with your insecurities now because you're not in control. Now we're raised. It's like, you know, Eminem, you know, when one of his raps uh, about his mom, she made me believe I was sick when I wasn't. That's what friends and family can do when you have dreams and goals and aspirations. They'll come up to you and they'll pat you on the back. No, you, your goals are too big. You can't do that. People like us don't do that. We don't do that kind of thing. No, no. What you're doing now is okay. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You just huddle in the corner over there because I'm over here doing what I want to do, but you stay huddled over in the corner. And then when you go beyond what they're doing, how, how could you do that to me? Yeah. Is the response. How, how could you do that to me? After all I've done for you, how could you do that? I play the victim. 
And then you realize how weak minded they really were. And you start to realize, wow, the people I was hanging out with and the, the average of the people, the, the, whatever that saying is, you're the average of the five people you spend most time with. You go, holy shit, I've been hanging out with the wrong crowd my whole life. You may, I, I made a bed for many years and I laid in it, but now I can make a brand new bed and I made the bed and it was just for me and it's king size, baby. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, and, and there's only, I, I just, I don't let any, like, I, I ain't no, I'm a call girl. I ain't no streetwalker. Okay. Not anyone can get, just get in that bed now. <laughs> That's one thing, you know, you, you're very selective as to who's becoming a part of your inner circle to break away from that quote unquote, you know, emotional trauma. Um, and, and it stays with you and you got, and I still haven't figured out how, how to master it. You know, there's always going to be ways where it's going to work better than some days will work better than others, but you, you find a way to do a little bit better. I'll, I'll be honest. The last three days, all I can think of is I can't wait till my broadcasting course is done with Unreal. I just want it over with. I want it done. I just need, I just, I just, just let it go. Let it grow. Let the, let the grass grow green again. Let the flowers bloom in season. You know, just, just let things be for a while is my thing. You, you talked to me four weeks ago. I was willing to sign up for every course in the world. You know, but as I looked at my goals from when I started the course, I saw the things that I wanted to accomplish. And I saw a bunch of other things that I also, that I did not accomplish. And I thought that was a goal of mine two months ago when I started this course, I could care less about that right now. I got this whole new list. I got this whole new bed, you know, and it's interesting that, uh, that, that it works that way when you start doing what you, what you love and you just got to learn how to keep evolving and keep all the negativity out. Where how did that shift come about where you felt one way, one moment at a time, and then not too long later going forward, you felt very different about your goals. Like what, what changed so quickly? Let, let me say. Um, I think for me, I had, again, it's the same thing, the course, how I've done things in the workforce, in business and life. I attack something right away. I, I do a blitzkrieg basically. I have it all planned out. I know exactly what I'm going to do and I get it done a lot quicker than anybody else. Uh, and when that's done, that's where I'm like, well, what, what is there left to prove? There's nothing left What's to prove. Next, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I had, you know, the highest episode total. I had the highest course completion rate. Um, I got, you know, the perfect attendance, you know, I was, I got two, two weeks straight of keynote calls with, with Brian Rose. You know, I've done everything that could be done. What else could I do? Well, I could 10x myself to you and the rest of the class and post three vlogs every day of updates and maybe out, uh, uh, over, oh, um, overstayed my welcome in terms of, you know, just being as a, as a good person or whatever, however I'm perceived and be seen as a bit like, uh, you know, this person's a bit too much actually. <laughs> um, so I thought, you know, I said, I, I, I'm in a really good position. There's some people who are struggling and are comparing their struggles to, well, Scott's doing this and I'm only here. And I felt like that was, it was what was good for me. It was kind of counteractive from them. And, uh, and it is a course and it is a team effort. So I kind of changed gears where I started to put more thought into what am I going to be doing when this is over? Because I know how to, I know how to sustain to be where I am with, with all those other um, markers like the course completion, the, uh, the episodes, all that stuff. I know how to maintain that. So what am I going to do moving forward? And it's interesting that I say that because I was saying earlier, 
I find a hard time trying to maintain success after I, I accomplish something else. But now I'm claiming that I, I maintain this. So maybe right now, just by talking to you in this whole masterminding session on our podcast, on your podcast, um, you know, I might be, I might have a different little bit of reflection on that later in the day, you know, to get some more perspective. Cause I've never said that before or thought of it that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, thanks for pushing those questions, man. You're pushing the right buttons. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, you're doing a phenomenal job, Scott, you know, if I'm not mistaken, your yeah, podcast it. and your podcast is to be very clear is for student athletes or is there a bigger, a bigger audience in, in terms of personal development? Well, so, you know, there's, um, I've learned uh, the, the micro niche that London Real teaches. Mm-hmm. I really like um, because it forces you to get the course done. Once yeah. you figure that out, you can really start rolling. So, student athletes is my forte. Right. It's how it's how I knew I could be successful in the course. I'm not, I could have chosen something else and said, okay, well, I'm going to go and do this, and I'm going to be pissed off at it, and probably, you know, default some other effort, and I can reset and just say, okay, we'll do student athletes. But what I saw with my student athletes. I see a lot of the stuff that they're talking about is stuff or questions that I was asking at that age. So I said, well, I know the answers. So they were the foundation and the launch pad to get it going. Having said that with other things that I want to do, things can be done in categories. So, okay, student athletes, this is what we do for them. Individuals, this is what we do for you. Business professionals, this is what we do for you. Um, My own stuff, you know, like, seminars, uh, conferences, stuff like that. This is what we do over here for that. And that's to a whole different micro niche. So I've learned that you don't have to be victim or, or, or a slave to the one micro niche. You can have multiple of them. And I think that's what a lot of them do. If you look at the London Real Academy, there's four niches. There's Life Accelerator, Biz Accelerator, uh, Broadcast Yourself and Speak to Inspire. Four very specific things that can all in some way tie into each other. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's what Grant Cardone talks about. You got to 10 X your goals and then you got to go micro on those goals with the purposes and say, okay, this goal and this goal, this purpose and this purpose, they work together. These ones connect here. And that's where, when you go micro on something, that's where you're really understanding. I did, I did that with my life. I, uh, the other day on my notebook, I did five categories of where I thought were most important to get my overall development. When I started, I broke them into categories. I said, here's the tasks that have to be done. Here's the goals that I have, uh, long, long-term and short-term. When I had broken, started to go micro, I looked at how much I said I want to do in sales and how much personal cash I'd like to have out of it. I said, that number is not big enough, man. And that's where it clicks in. That's why you have to 10 exit. Because when you look at how much work you're going to be doing, you don't think, well, I deserve more. You say, someone who's doing that is making a lot more than just what I put down there. So I better stop selling myself short like I'm doing my whole life and 10x that because I may not reach that 10x goal, but I might I may have 5x it or 4x it or 7x it. Where if I did it the other way, I might have been, hey, I'm burning myself out for what I thought was a lot of money or a lot of value and, or from what I need to live a, a, a life of freedom. And that ain't it. And yet, then you got to fast forward and do it again another year. So going micro on that stuff really learn, uh, helps you to, uh, to uh, you know, cut away the, the elephant grass and see through all the bull roar and, and go through it, man. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah, yeah I, like, I, like the way, I like the way it's set up. And obviously, you know, you've done a phenomenal job so far as I can speak to for everyone in the course. 
No doubt about it. I appreciate that. I don't, and the thing is, I don't take compliments well either. <laughs> I got, I'm serious. I got a text message last night. There's a junior hockey organization who in their leadership meeting among their whole staff and their, and their captains and assistants, like the players. So the, the captains and the assistants of the team from this is from what I'm told there may have been two of them, three of them, one of them, I don't know with the coaching staff and the other support staff for that program. They're actually, they actually used one of my episodes, one of my early episodes of Dan church as a, uh, as a learning tool for how they want to build their culture for their program next year. And I did not take that very well. Mm. I don't know why, but it bothered the hell out of me. I went for a drive. I'm in Etobicoke. I drove through the city, uh, through the Gardner downtown Toronto. I drove up and it was just like, I, I felt like, I felt like I, that episode isn't enough that I have to call them and say, Hey, I heard you listen to that, by the way if you really want to get the, the the deep fiber of it, even though Dan church delivered a lot of the answers, I delivered the questions and the rebuttals, but there's a, there's a, there's something more that you need. I felt like I was kind of cheating them because that's all they got was that one hour episode, mm. you know? So I, I didn't even everyone, everyone around me was saying, what do you mean? You're not happy that you made an impact. I said, no, no I didn't do enough. Like they're, 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 they're they may there might be something they're missing that I might know and can help them with, and that's what got me there. So when people in the course were saying that, I was kind of, I liked it, but it's like our boy TD Jake said, I never, I don't want to be famous, I just want to be effective, you know. Yeah, Unfortunately, cool. one evil comes with one, with one good. Yeah, for right. sure. Now speaking of guys like TD Jake's Scott. Um, you know, yesterday we did speak on our mentors and we follow for the, I'd say for the most part, the same mentors, but I want to give a little twist to it this time. I want to, I want you to give me your Mount Rushmore of, of motivational speakers, personal development figures. Okay. Take your time. Uh, it's, yep. it's, it's yours. Uh, Jim Rohn. Absolutely. Probably the best speaker in my opinion of all time. Um, his delivery is phenomenal. In business like he he went from being you know just this broke kid eating earl shove um to making millions to losing it and then to making it again which says phenomenal stuff but he's so so calm and crystal and clear and professional and nice and welcoming and warm that even even some of the most evil people in the world would probably say, I love the way that I get what he's saying. <laughs> it is me. Um, he'd be right at the top there. And that's someone where I was like, he, he passed away in 09. Yeah. And if I had known anything about him before, I would have found a way to try and meet him before that when I was younger, but unfortunately I didn't. And, you know, uh, uh, Tony Robbins, he, he met him at 17 and that became his, his guy. I'm thinking, well, you know, he, he had the right idea, you know, meeting Jim, but uh, Jim's just like all of his books, his, uh, his like, I, I watched his seminars from the 19, uh, there's one in California in 1981, I think he does, that's online on YouTube. It's about two hours long. And I watched that from start to finish when I started reading and, and starting this personal development thing back in October. And that was like, whoa, like so much good stuff. Cause it was all People say like, oh, well, motivational guys, you know, you got to motivate yourself, which is true. But inspirational speakers, uh, influencers, they know how to deliver a message 
that will be relevant till the end of time. Right. So that's what I love about Jim and his just as, you know, like he's from, you know, he's an Ohio boy, but he's got that, that twang in his voice too. Right. Which I love that. Just, that just, you know, yeah, unique. That, that just puts it on there. Yeah. Really unique speaker. Uh, Zig Ziglar, uh, another guy, tremendous voice, tremendous storyteller. He is able to educate you on how to do sales ethically with purpose to love that process because a lot of people find sales to be cold, you know, the, how to the life lessons that he brings in. Like I, I have this one, um, you probably heard it engineered for success. There's a short version, which is where he just says the words. It's about two minutes and change. And there's a nine minute version where it's a little, little expansive, uh, expands on, on different parts of that speech that he did. And uh, he was talking about, you know, he was look. He was getting all successful and looking at all, all this wealth he was creating for himself, um, and that and the opportunities that were being presented to him. But he said, uh, you know, he was you know a little overweight, and he's like, well, people, I can't be telling people this is how you got to live. You can do what you want to do. You can be what you want to be. You know, and then you look and say, what about you? Oh, well, you know, when I'm doing this, I'm really busy because I'm looking out for you guys. He didn't want to be that way. So he, he had lost the weight and this is a story that people don't know. And he had this great thing um, where he said he was uh, getting into running, you know, all of his friends are sleeping and, and uh, you know, he's running, what are you trying to prove? And he said, you know, he was in Portland, Oregon and he's running on the campus. It was about 12 o'clock, 78 degrees. And he's running and he's seeing some people were, you know, studying somewhere on blankets in the park, relaxing, picnicking, whatever. And he says, here comes like old Ziggler just running around the campus, you know? <laughs> and he said it was at that point, and this really stuck with me, that he realized he wasn't paying a price for success. He was having the time of his life during success. And I think that's the what really hit me there because that means people feel that, well, if I want to be successful, I'm consistently paying the rent, paying the price, whatever the saying may be. Um, and that's something, paying the rent is something a coach that a coach that I know here in Ontario says a lot that Michael Chabot said it. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that you guys both have that thing, but you're paying pay price to action. And it's like, no, when you're in your pathway of success, if you can see it as having the time of your life, I was like, wow, that's powerful. So the Ziggler would be on there for sure. Um, Les Brown. I love the way he talks as well. I know, uh, you know, um, with him, it's just uh, his story again from rags to riches, but to success and his philosophy. It's just really powerful. Um, T.D. Jakes, who I've come to learn this year, just man, he he preaches the the whole world's on fire. Like he he can hit you hard. You know that that's someone who could just probably give you just the eyebrow raise and look at you, say a short sentence, and you're going to change your your attitude. You know, moving forward, as long you know, if you're in if you're in his presence, man, like you, you know, it, it's uh, he's just a powerful guy, and I love it's like the the preacher thing, being a bishop, which is very respectful, and I, I love that part of him. So there's those four. Um, now, having said that, there are other people. Um, if I was talking about more um, kind of business influencers, like if I had to build a board of directors, you know, Dan Payne is there without a doubt. 
I always said Lucky Luciano, who organized crime in New York. And people say, well, that's a pretty bold statement. But I said, no, but he was able to bring a bunch of people who hate, hated each other together so that they could work together and expand. And I still know that's a terrible thing, but that is a very, for one person to do that, it's a very powerful thing to do. Uh, but when it comes to the personal development, so I got Roan, I got Zig, I got Jakes, I got Les Brown. And any honorable mentions? Why well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do five. Cause I feel like five is a good number. Okay. And, uh, oh man, it's a toss up between a few of them. So this is going to be hard. I know <laughs> I gave you six, but I'm going to stick with five. Um, oh boy. <sighs> this really separates the men from the boys yeah. on this one. Been, Hang on a second. You, I, I'm, yeah. I'm almost there. <laughs> give, give, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me a minute. No give worries. Me a minute. Hey, take your time. No worries. Cowboy, cowboy, slow down, cowboy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it, it's weird because it's uh, like we, like I said, I've come across Inky Johnson, who I think is great. Um, you know, oh, geez, why did I put myself in this position with five? <laughs> um, you know what? I couldn't say. I'm a liar. I'm going to have to keep it at four right now. Jakes, Brown, Ziggler, and Roan. Yep. Because anyone else that I've seen so far, I haven't seen anyone at their level of speech. I, there are a lot of motivational speakers that I like, but those guys are at a different level. They're in their own league. Like, they're the chairman of the board, basically. And there's one spot open. I don't know who it's for yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. Hey. First, first time in a podcast where I struggled to answer one of my own questions that got rebuted back to me. Look how unprepared I was. <laughs> no, that's a tough. Hey, there are many phenomenal speakers, you know, and there's still some that I had left out yesterday. I forgot to mention, rest in peace, Wayne Dyer. He was another great one. Yeah. And Walt, Walter Bond, a guy who I've known for several months. He, he's, a, he's a great sought-after guy. Another guy is John Gordon. By the way, when you're talking about Zig Ziglar, I remember I watched a short video a while back and to paraphrase a little bit, John Gordon said um, a long time ago, well, not a long time ago, around a decade ago, maybe a little bit more. So Zig Ziglar was in one of his seminars and he was taking notes. He was, mind you, this guy is 82 years old, one of the most polished, successful motivational speakers of all time. And he's still taking notes, still learning, trying to gather new information for himself. And it goes to show you never told to learn, you never told to get better. So, yeah, so yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. That should push anybody to to um to be their best selves, especially us people who are much younger. Um, Absolutely. So Scott, I want to um ask you a, a two part question. What is yep. the biggest myth of success you've ever heard? And then you could follow that with the um most underrated aspect of success, like a bit an important aspect of success that many people undervalue. Uh, money definitely is the the overrated version. Yeah, the start with the that biggest myth is mm-hmm. like money is not going to make you happy. I've had some days where I've made 20,000 in, in a day. I've had months where I've made, I remember my best month ever. I made 80,000 in a month and it didn't change me. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and you think that's what's, that's going to fix the problem, but it's, uh, it doesn't. It's the biggest, that, that would be my biggest myth is money. You know, if, if you just want to make money for the sake of making money, you're going to be pretty unfulfilled. If you know what you're going to do with it, 
to take things to a whole nother level again, then the, then the, the myth myth is debunked. But the mainstream personal thing, people get in business, they think I'm going to get the money, the money, the money, the money, the money. Making money is easy. Being fulfilled is satisfied. I said that a couple times already. Um, and it's true because if, if I had won the lottery, um, which just happened here in, Ontario, in Canada, it was like for 70 million. If I had won that, oh yeah, I'd be sitting there and yeah, you buy a house, you buy a car, you know, you, you hire the best nutritionist and you get in wicked shape and, you know, then you're going to travel and now you're not living in the house you just bought or drive the car you just bought because you're going to travel now. That's not going to fulfill you. So, you know, the, the, the mighty dollar chasing the money, um, to say that that's not how you should measure your success. Um, I think the, the, the thing that you can be, if you can be doing the daily disciplines of a successful person, do the daily disciplines to become a successful person. If you can do that every day. That's extremely successful. And it's simple things. You have your morning routine. You look over your goals that you have for the next one year, five years, 10 years. You don't have, you just have to look at them. You just have to read them just to kind of remind yourself, but people won't even do that. You know, eat better food, you know, go to the gym, develop relationships with people, write down 10 new ideas each day, you know, reach out to someone who you thought, who you think would never talk to you because you're not at, at their standard of their industry. You're not at that level with them yet. And you, who knows, maybe that's one person that you do connect with. And, but that's like a goal you set for yourself. I'm going to make that one phone call where it's a shot in the dark and we'll see what happens. If you can do that every day, that's, that's successful. And that sounds very boring. It's not sexy. It's not big. It's not bodacious, but it's very undervalued. People will not do consistent work on the little things, the little thing, the little victories that will win the war at the end of the day, I think is the one thing that's least valued when it comes to success. Mm-hmm. People think it's the bag, the elephant. I'm going to find that one product for that one big group. Who's going to pay that one big high sales price. And that's how I'm going to make my bank and I'll be successful then. Well, no, you're going to be pretty friggin' bored for the rest of your life. If you do it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I hope that answers those parts. Uh, it does. It does. And it, uh, you mentioned many of the little things that people don't, that people undervalue of success. And it's a lot of, and we lose track of that. We're always trying to go for that big thing, which trying to stu- shoot for the stars right out of the gate. And it's, it, that usually doesn't work uh, very much, but you made a great point. And yeah, obviously, you know, with the uh, biggest myth of success is money. I agree with you. Actually, I'm very glad you pointed out the lottery aspect of it because I've said to several people, if I were to win the jackpot of the lottery and it was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, I, my life wouldn't change for the better. Not much, at least. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I think I'd have a lot of people coming after my ass. So I wouldn't yeah, want that. That's true. <laughs> Remember who we talked to earlier, those people, when you, you reach a new level that they wish they could have, not that you're at a new level financially, they're coming to you. Hey man, remember yeah. I helped you out. Where, where's my cut? People you haven't you know, spoken I haven't, talk, to, about I haven't talked to you in three years and right. I called you an asshole behind your back for the last three and, 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 and among our, our mutual friends, but Hey, where's my cut? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I could never. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It is, yeah. man. Um, so I, now I want to ask you, what is your, what is the advice 
that you have for young people who are trying to discover their purpose or find their direction in life? Or I'd say both because they're intertwined. Okay, so um, first off, go to the bookstore and there's the three core books and then there's a fourth book to buy. Buy Success by Napoleon Hill. Read that first because it's a shorter book and an easier read for the second book that I'm going to talk about, which is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. That is going to teach you how to think your way to success and how the world works. It's written in 1937, I think. Um, But page to page, all relevant to the world today still on how to, because it's, again, you thinking outside the box and, and on how money grows, how things work, how you get involved with higher level people, the people that you want to be around. Third book, Richest Man in Babylon. That will teach you how money works. That will, that will give you the basic economic principles to, you know, if, if you're going to have one thing in order, have your economics in order, you know, it'll put you in the top 5% automatically, especially in you're in North America, for an example. So you're already in the top 1% in the world, right? So now this is going to put you in the top 5% of the top 1%. So there you go. You're again, going micro, man. You're in the top 1% and then you're in the top 5% of that 1%. Just by, just by default, just by being born, you know, once you read those three and you understand them, you're going to buy the book, seven strategies, uh, and fundamentals of wealth and happiness by Jim Rohn. That is going to teach you how your year works, how your five next five years are going to look your next 10 years, the power of writing goals down, you know, how to tie in and everything you learned in those three. It's going to, cause it's got exercises in the book. It's going to teach you how to, cause it references the three books too. It's going to teach you how to simplify all that new knowledge you have and get you on your processes. Cause again, it's a strategy book. It's a success strategy book and it's going to help you implement your plan and put it into action. And then you can get started when you do those three, you don't need a person like me to tell you, here's my version of it. Because when you read those three, you'll already know what to do. Combined, I think it's going to cost you maybe like $40, $50 for all of them. They're, they're pretty inexpensive books that have tons of information. And that's where, that's how I got started. And even then I still have to go back and reread them just to remind myself, you know, what I'm doing here. So if you can, if you can take and you got, you know, you can order them online. We got plenty of time during this pandemic to start to read more. The second that you get those done right away, and you start working on your plan, look out, that's going to put you 10 years ahead than anyone else your age. For If you're, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, you'll be, you'll have such an advantage because you chose to read those books and they, they chose not. And what success doing what the failures won't do. So there you go. There you go. And I do have the Think and Grow Rich book too, right beside me over there. So, and, and I, and I have been thinking about trying to get back to reading again, cause I have dozens and dozens of books but I've only read four, well, five of them. So I think I may read that one next. Yeah. I think yeah, there I, you I, go. There you go. It's, hey, uh, and, you got hey, me that, sold. Hey, that, you got that, me sold. That, that book is a tough read. I'll, I remember the first day I read about three pages and I closed it. I was like, this is killing my eyes and my head. It's, but by I started on Monday. By the Friday, I could read four or five chapters. And, and then when I was done that book, I was reading other books in a couple of days and then I read uh, Your First 100 Million by Dan Pena. I read that and it was like uh, nine hours. 
I started early afternoon and I went into the early morning of the next day because I was that drawn into it because I've become such a better reader. And that's the thing. You're developing your skills. Understanding what you're reading is a powerful skill because that's, that's the first step in how to get information downloaded into your brain to start using your imagination, your creative thinking, your critical thinking, all that good stuff. That's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. So Scott, I have a rule wrap it up shortly, but I have my two closing questions for you. Now I want you to define the word execution. What it is to execute in, in life, in your life. Write down everything you want to do. Take action and do it. Cross it off your list day by day. That's how you execute. There you go. Plans. It's that simple. It's that simple. <laughs> it is. You got ten things. Make a list. Don't think about it. Three, two, one, go. Finish that one. What's the next one? Finish that one. What's the next one? Those ten. Done. Michael Chabot actually had a great thing uh, yesterday in our conversation. He said he has five main components that he wants to do every day before he can go to work on his podcast, family, hockey, because he likes to play and he coaches. He says, if you can get four of the five done, you get a W for the day. You get a win. If you only did three of the five, it's a loss. So for him, he cuts himself some slack by saying four out of five, 80% completion rate, which is very high still. You know, most people do 20 to 30%. Dan Pena says, you know, a high performance person, CEOs, they still only do 60 at the at their max maybe. But that was a very simple way to do it. But it is that simple. Write down, what do I want to do to get done, to move forward to my goals, my dreams, you know, my ambitions, my success, get them done, and then walk away from it. Don't find another 10 things to do that day. Write it down, finish it. If you have eight hours, it just goes to show how effectively you can work. And maybe not that day or that week, but maybe the following week, if you want to be a person who does 16 hours, make your list longer, try it out, see if it works for you. Yeah. And everyone has time, by the way. So yeah, yeah, there is excuse. We got the same amount of time as Warren Buffett and he's doing pretty damn well for himself. And he's a lot older too. And he's not using that as an excuse. Right. (laughs) Same 24 hours as Oprah Winfrey as well. I mean, she's killing it in the game. She's been killing it. Oh, she's on a different level. Oh my God. The (laughs) life she's had. Wow. They're going to make, there'll be a, a premier, premier picture on her life for sure, for sure. Uh, that and that one oscars without a doubt <laughs> no doubt all right scott the last question i have for you is this i'm gonna have to read it it's a little long go for it so talk when, to me goose when it is all said and done scott how would you like to define the word execution in your life when it's all said and done for you and when you've it's had this great run of decades of life how how would you want to define the word excellence in your life? How would you want people to view excellence in your life? He was a person who showed up and competed every day. Every single day. You know, again, that simple. Just competed. Showed up that day, he was a competitor. The next day, he was a competitor. Third day, couldn't keep up with him. He's too much of a competitor. He kept competing every day, not just in making money, not just in, in, in business, life, relationships, uh, you know, being more social, loving yourself more, 
just again that list crossed it off every day competed there you go hey very very well put scott now guys obviously um you guys as you, for those of you who may not know scott you know he's been i can i can speak for all of us you know he's been uh he's been a great leader in our broadcast yourself course you know he's been very valuable as well as the other coaches in our academy um anybody can learn a lot from this guy he has a ton of knowledge and he's never afraid to spew some of that towards others to help them get to that next level and so and you didn't come up short in this interview scott so you know i do appreciate you you know we had a great talk yesterday as well as today you know i definitely appreciate um you telling me all you had to tell me and i i, I have learned from you during the these last eight weeks or so so it's been great having you on this podcast and uh maybe sometime in the in the future we'll do this again absolutely it was great questions it made me think like i said i got some things to reflect on now because i'm you know the think tank is going we've had great conversations in our mastermind sessions and all that and yeah man can't wait for the next one without yeah, a doubt absolutely we'll be much better and we'll have a new fresh insight to to a bounce off to bounce ideas each of each other from so i'll be looking forward there to you. it there you go right. i love it all right so thank you ladies and gentlemen for listening this is the execution equals excellence podcast I'm host Jonathan Fernandez. Oh, before that, Scott, where they can can they find you? Oh, uh, if you want to find the Hockey Club on Instagram, OHC Hockey. If you want to find the uh, the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, the Real Experience Podcast. And the word experience, there's no e, just a big capital X, like Grant Cardone's 10x rule. Right, real people, real experience. All right, thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for being on. Um, we'll see you next time. Have a great one. Thanks, John. You as well.